2: Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. Today is the day in a federal courthouse in Miami, Florida. The deep staters, the swamp creatures, the terrible evil people in the Biden administration Department of Justice are aiming their harpoons at Donald Trump. Yes, this is happening. Donald Trump is being indicted by special counsel, Jack Smith. He's being arraigned today in Florida and we will be here every step of the way unpacking this. If you missed the episode from earlier this week, if you missed, it was Monday's episode, talking about the one legal argument that the left doesn't want you to hear about this indictment that actually decimates the entire indictment, highly recommend you go back and listen to Monday's episode. Essentially, remember that video called The Invisible Gorilla, where you were told as a viewer to watch people bouncing a red ball back and forth, and you were told, keep your eye on that red ball. Don't look away now. You got to make sure you, you watch the trajectory, who's throwing it to who, who's catching it. Don't lose sight of it. And people paid so close of attention to this that they didn't notice the enormous gorilla walking through the back of this scene. The video went viral because of the selective attention of human beings that you could focus so much on that red ball that you would miss an actual primate, a gorilla walking in the background. Well, this indictment, the unsealed indictment is special counsel Jack Smith's uh, invisible gorilla. He wants us to focus just on the red ball that is his indictment. And he wants us to ignore the legal precedent set under President Clinton, Bill Clinton, not even Hillary this time, that just utterly destroys the argument that he makes or the charges that he's levying against Donald Trump in this indictment. So we will follow along as new information unfolds. But if you haven't watched that episode, highly recommend you go back and watch it. Today, we are going to talk about the most horrendous photograph from outside the White House, the Biden administration, not even the administration, Joe Biden himself. This is the White House, after all. It's where the President of the United States lives. Joe Biden, in honor, and I put this in quotation marks, in honor of Pride Month, hung the transgender pride flag at the White House. Now you might be thinking, wow, that's really awful. And if you're thinking that, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till you see this photograph of how Biden put the transgender progress pride flag higher than the American flag. Let's get to it.
0: With the Lucky Lands Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: All right, guys, you really need to prepare yourself for this photograph because we've been subject to a lot of pretty nasty stuff this Pride Month. The left, in the name of transgender equality or reproductive justice or whatever it is, whatever euphemism they're calling it at this point, have really shown us, no pun intended here, their true colors. They have targeted their deviant sexual behavior in public at children. They have, in the name of pride parades, they've used this this phrase all ages to, I don't even know what the right word is, to strut in front of children half naked in bondage gear performing gay sex acts on the back of a truck. We have been subject just to horrendous images and videos of the left, well, betraying exactly what they mean when they want everyone to celebrate Pride Month. It's not about equality, it's not about tolerance, it's about a deviant sexual behavior, an ideology called queer theory that intends to sexualize children. It's grotesque, it's neo-Marxist. We talk about this all the time. Well, as if that's not bad enough, be prepared to have your sensibilities assaulted and offended, not in the same, not in quite the same way as the twerking drag queens that are performatively well, performing sex acts in front of our children, but this is a picture of the White House. The Biden White House celebrated Pride Month, and in the course of this celebration, they hung two American flags. Okay, that's fine, but in the middle, they hung the Transgender Progress Pride Flag. Now, the reason I say the Transgender Progress Pride Flag is this flag is not just a rainbow. This flag is not just the transgender flag. This transgender progress pride flag also includes the black stripe and the brown stripe in addition to the rainbow, in addition to the light blue, light pink, and white of the transgender flag. The compilation of this flag screams Marxism. The black stripe and the brown stripe, do you know what that is? That has nothing to do with sexuality or gender identity or equality under the law or tolerance. The black stripe and the brown stripe are for Black Lives Matter, their land acknowledgements, like, oh, we here in the United States live on stolen land, let's make sure we acknowledge that before we continue with our cis-heteronormative patriarchy or whatever it is that they're calling it these days. The Biden administration not only hung that flag, they hung it higher than the American flag. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, wow, that's incredibly offensive, oh, we're just getting started with how incredibly offensive this is, in fact, The US flag code, the Biden administration is grossly violating the US flag code. This is what the flag code reads. It says, the flag of the United States of America should be at the center and at the highest point of the group when a number of flags of states or localities or pennants or societies are grouped and displayed from staffs, period. You can't get a lot clearer than that. Now, I know some people are on their left are saying, oh, well, they're not on staffs, they're just hanging. Are you kidding me? The fact of the matter is the Biden administration, maybe this is one of those moments that you and I need to actually believe what's before our very eyes. We need to believe what the Biden administration is telling us. The Biden administration cares more about the transgender progress pride flag than they do about old glory, about the red, white, and blue. We've long suspected that the Biden administration is anti-American. They've embraced everything. They've embraced Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. They've embraced Um, shareholder capitalism, which is basically a euphemism for Chinese communist social credit score system. They've embraced ESG and DEI. They've embraced the transgender ideology from transgender women, quote unquote, meaning biological males, in sports to the Biden Department of Justice prohibiting schools from banning men from competing in women's sports. The White House has advocated for early hormone intervention and early transgender surgeries for children with gender disorders. They've propagated critical race theory on the military, on the administrative state, on contractors who work for the federal government. The Biden administration has spent us into oblivion using modern monetary theory to undermine the capitalist free market economy that makes the American economy so strong and so free and so powerful. Maybe we shouldn't actually be surprised then that the Biden administration doesn't like what America is, doesn't like who we are, doesn't like our values and our principles. Everything that old glory stands for, the red, white, and blue, every sacrifice, every soldier and sailor and airman and marine who laid down their life to sacrifice for our country, So that we could be free the states symbolized by those stars our union maybe the biden administration really doesn't like us maybe they really do buy into this narrative that we're a bad and evil country that we stole land illegitimately from the native americans that we were founded by racists and therefore everything that we've ever achieved in this country is built on the backs of white supremacy meaning we perpetuate it and are irredeemable if we're white maybe the biden administration is putting the transgender progress pride flag higher than the American flag for a reason. Maybe it's because the Biden administration are self-loathing neo-Marxists. And they're the ones telling us this by their symbols. It's up to us whether we want to believe this or not because they are doing it, not by accident, not because they're ignorant of flag code. You think that there aren't staffers around the White House, people that that are supposed to be actually putting this into place that wouldn't realize that? No, no. The Biden administration gave a direct order for this to happen, they're doing it directly. And it's just a matter of whether we're going to understand the symbolism or whether we are going to remain naive and ignorant. Another aspect, another assault that's happening on the American people right now, the left already tried to lie about what happened on the subway in New York City with Jordan Neely. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago where Jordan Neely, he was this, this um, mentally ill, drug addled individual who had been arrested dozens of times for threatening to kill people on the subway, for jumping the subway turnstiles, for assaulting an old lady, for kidnapping a child. And he threatened to kill people on the New York subway. And so a Marine named Daniel Penny stepped in, defended himself and others in the train Uh, restrained Jordan Neely until police, until the train stopped and police could intervene. And in the course of this altercation, Jordan Neely died. Now the left wants to tell you that Jordan Neely was killed, that Daniel Penny, because Daniel Penny is white and Jordan Neely was black, that Daniel Penny is a murderer. In fact, the left don't even know the facts of the matter and they pretended that it was a police-involved killing when police actually weren't there because police haven't done their duty to arrest and incarcerate people like Jordan Neely, who if he had been arrested and incarcerated, as he should have been and deserved to be under the law, he wouldn't have been in a position to be threatening people in this way, which would have negated the necessity for Daniel Penny to step in in the first place. Daniel Penny is out with new information that is bombshell information when it comes to this case. It decimates um, Alvin Bragg. He's He's the prosecutor from Manhattan who is who indicted Daniel Penny? Alvin Bragg, you might recognize, obviously, the name. He's the same guy that's indicted President Trump in Manhattan. Um, Alvin Bragg is a very, very bad man. But Daniel Penny's new testimony significantly undermines Alvin Bragg's indictment. Take a look at this.
0: With lucky landslots,
2: you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. East Village in Manhattan. So I take the subway multiple times a day. In this instance, I was coming from school. I got out of class around 2.15. And I took the J I was at J Street Metro Tech. Took the Uptown F train. Um, at 2nd Avenue, um, a man came on, stumbled on, he was, appeared to be on drugs. Um, the doors closed and he ripped his jacket off and, violent, and threw it at the people sitting down to my left. I was listening to music at the time um, and he was yelling, so I took my headphones out to hear what he was yelling. And the three main threats that he repeated over and over was, I'm gonna kill you, I'm prepared to go to jail for life and I'm willing to die. You know, this is a this was a scary situation, and uh, Mr. Nearly came on. He was he was threatening. He's he's a, I'm six two, and he was taller than me, so it was. And there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage, and courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. And you know, I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying. Saying these threats, I couldn't just sit still. Some people say that I was holding on to Mr. Ely really for 15 minutes. This is not true. I mean, between stops is only a couple minutes. minutes. So the whole interaction less than less, less than five minutes. Some people say I was trying to choke him to death, which is also not true. I was trying to restrain him. Uh, you can see in the video, there's a clear rise and fall of his chest indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from him being able to carry out the threats. And then some people say that this was about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers. It's a lot of whom were people of color. The man who helped restrain Mr. Neely was, was a person of color. And then a few days after the incident, I, I read in the papers that uh, a woman of color came out and called me a hero. What, I don't believe that I'm, I'm a hero, but uh, she was one of those people that I was trying to protect. We were all scared. Mr. Neely was yelling in these passengers' faces, and they looked terrified. Um, The reason why there was no video at the start of the altercation was because people were too afraid getting away from him. And the the videos didn't start until they saw that situation was under control. I knew I had to act, and I acted in a way that would protect the other passengers, protect myself, and protect Mr. Neely. I used this hole to restrain him, and I did this by leaving my hand on top of his head to control his body. You can see in the video, there's a clear rise and fall of his chest indicating that he was still breathing. And I'm calibrating my grip based on, on the force that he's exerting. And um, I just, I, I mean, I was trying to keep him on the ground as, until the police came. I was praying that the police would come and take this, situation under, uh, take this situation over. I didn't want to be put in that situation, but I couldn't just sit still and let, let him carry out these threats.
2: Pretty compelling testimony from Daniel Penny. Devastating testimony, I would call it, for Alvin Bragg's indictment of Daniel Penny. I have a couple of thoughts on this. It's not only compelling testimony, as I'm sure you, like me, were riveted listening to Daniel Penny describe actually what happened in response to narratives that have been propagated baselessly by the left. It's devastating testimony for Alvin Bragg's indictment. I mean, Alvin Bragg we'll get to him in a minute, is one of the most evil people in our country. One of the most evil people in our country who didn't even bother to investigate what happened. This this idea of, oh, Daniel Penny held Jordan Neely in a chokehold for 15 minutes. The reason that the left ran with that is because if if you did... Um, any kind of analysis if you get if you did any kind of polling amongst the American people after the death of George Floyd, you would have learned as the left probably did, they probably did test their narrative against the demographics that they hoped to influence. But you would have learned that one of the most effective uh, talking points that they used was the specific amount of time that um, that the police officer had his knee on George Floyd's back and neck. The eight minutes that he was pinned to the ground. That was a very jarring talking point to the American people, people on the left and people on the right. And so it shouldn't surprise us. It's no coincidence that they're using this same strategy, the same talking point, just adjusted a little bit for this scenario to try to manipulate the American people. They learned what is effective to manipulate people's minds during the George Floyd riots, and they're using that again. But it turns out it's not true. It wasn't 15 minutes, it was less than five minutes because it's less than five minutes between each stop on the subway. If Alvin Bragg had even stopped to think for five seconds, let alone investigate, he would have realized that. He could have debunked that in an instant, except of course he didn't want to debunk it. He wanted the leftist narrative to be true, which is why he immediately indicted Daniel Penny without waiting for any facts. The video itself came out in the immediate aftermath. The video of this altercation came out before Daniel Penny was indicted. And the video shows the rise and fall of Jordan Neely's chest, just like Daniel Penny says it does. But did Alvin Bragg watch that video? I find it very, very hard to believe that he did not watch that video. If he did not watch that video, I mean the word negligent hardly seems strong enough to describe Uh, the level of corruption that would have to blind you to ignore a literal bombshell, smoking gun piece of evidence. And then, of course, this accusation of racism, that just because Daniel Penny is white and just because Jordan Neely was black, that they assume that there's some kind of racial animosity. In fact, the racism at play in this scenario is the racism of the left accusing Daniel Penny just because he has white skin of harboring racial animosity towards anybody who has black skin. That is racist of the left to assign racial animus to every white person because they're white without any evidence that racism played any role whatsoever in this altercation. There is no indication that race played into this at all. Jordan Neely was threatening to kill people. As someone who has been subject to more than her fair share of death threats, I can tell you that the words Daniel Penny just testified that Jordan Neely said, I will kill you, those words, the the words that, that, that communicate what someone intends to do is what makes those words a crime, makes those words a threat that is punishable by law. If you say, I wish that you were dead, or I hope you die, or something to that effect, that's mean. And it's a death threat of sorts, but it's not a crime. In order for it to rise to the level of a crime, again, I wish I didn't have the experience to explain this to you, but unfortunately, I do. But what takes a death threat and and, and escalates it to a crime is stating the intent to actually commit the act. I will kill you. I am going to kill you. This is what Daniel Penny and other people on the train have not contradicted him, say that Jordan Neely was, was threatening on this train. So my question today is the same as my question was when we first analyzed this situation. What would the left have Daniel Penny do? Did they want him to sit still? Did they want him to refuse to act? Did they want him to allow Jordan Neely to murder both himself and the other people, including women and children and people of color, on that train, just because Jordan Neely was black? What if Jordan Neely killed a Hispanic woman? What if Jordan Neely killed a child? What if Jordan Neely killed another black man? All because Daniel Penny refused to act because the left said that he shouldn't because he's white and Jordan Neely's black. Is that the country that the left wants us to live in? Is that what the left is trying to tell these people, women and children and people of color? Is that what the left is saying is justice? That's what the left is saying is safety? That's what the left is saying is equity? Because it sounds to me like an incredibly dangerous, deadly environment that the left is trying to create for all of us.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at seven. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on The First TV. Watch The First on DirecTV Channel 347, UVerse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream.
2: Alvin Bragg is an evil man. He's not just negligent. He willfully, willfully misrepresented this. He is weaponizing... The law his the law enforcement apparatus based on the office that he holds against Daniel Penny just because of politics, just because Alvin Bragg is a Soros-funded prosecutor. He's a Soros-funded district attorney. George Soros doesn't believe in prisons, doesn't believe in justice, doesn't believe in criminal justice, doesn't believe in police. He doesn't think that people should be prosecuted for violent crimes. He thinks the answer is. Not to put people in prison when they commit a crime. That's why he funded these progressive prosecutors who selectively target conservatives or Republicans or Christians or, I suppose, white people and allow violent criminals to roam the streets without any legal accountability, even as the law prescribes. Alvin Bragg. I mean, George Soros is evil, sure. Alvin Bragg is the epitome of evil, trying to destroy this young man's life because he looks like a suitable political pawn. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter if the left says, oh, you're not allowed to criticize George Soros, it makes you anti-Semitic. It does not, it does not. We are criticizing, validly criticizing George Soros's political activism, his use of his money to fund his pet political causes. And it doesn't matter if the left claims that that makes us bigots. It obviously doesn't make us bigots. Nobody believes that, and we will continue. George Soros is retiring, did you hear that? George Soros is retiring. This is pretty big news I think. That George Soros is going to hand control of his entire political fortune to one of his sons. There's some family drama, the type of drama that only happens I think in the upper crust, the richest of the rich about which child would take over as the next the heir apparent of George Soros's fortune. We're going to talk about that in just a second because Let's just say the son who was being groomed to take over George Soros's fortune suddenly got booted from the position and a much, much younger son came out of nowhere and snatched that power away. Okay, so major drama in the Soros dynasty here. George Soros has five children with several different wives and he used to say, George Soros used to say that he wasn't going to hand control of his fortune, especially his, his, I will call it his political fortune because he has $25 billion that he has committed to disposing towards political causes. And he used to say that he's not going to hand control of this $25 billion political fortune to one of his children. He said he's going to hand it to someone who would competently dispose of it. So first of all, if you're one of the Soros children, ouch. But one of his sons, a son named Jonathan, thought that he was going to um, eventually take over for his father. Jonathan is politically active. He He's spent a lot of time around George Soros. I assume trying to convince George to let him take the reins of the Soros fortune and the Wall Street Journal did a report on this this weekend, and it was so funny reading how they uh, described George Soros' relationship with his sons, because it doesn't sound to me like a very healthy family dynamic. They said Jonathan would spend time playing tennis with George Soros in order to convince him that he was capable of of, of running the family fortune and political activism, and I thought, Okay, well, that sounds like a normal way for a son to interact with a father, to just get together for meetings just to play tennis, not to be, you know, father and son. But for some reason, unbeknownst to the Wall Street Journal, unbeknownst to the general public, Jonathan was not handed the reins to the George Soros fortune. No, no, instead George Soros handed the reins to his fort- of his fortune to his much younger son, a son from his second wife, um, This son's name is Alexander Soros. He goes by the name Alex Soros. He's 37 years old, so pretty young by the standards of controlling $25 billion worth of money towards political activism. And Alex Soros might seem to those who have heard of him before uh, uh, as a funny choice. Now, those who have heard of him before might be thinking of him as uh, the rich spoiled party boy son of George Soros. And if you're thinking of him like that, you would be correct. He spent over a decade getting a PhD from Berkeley, I think, um, during which time he essentially was just living the socialite life, right? He was just hobnobbing with Richie Riches and um, other trust fund babies. And he didn't seem to be accomplishing anything. To my, To the extent of my knowledge, he never had a real job. Um, And I mean, why would he need a real job when George Soros is his father? Um, And suddenly George Soros just hands him control of this entire fortune, just plops it right in his lap, hands him control of this entire fortune. In response, Alex Soros says that uh, he's more political than his father, he says. I'm more political, is the quote. He will focus his political activism. Now his political activism, of course, comes in the form of spending the Soros money on political on political causes, so the political activism of Alex Soros is going to mirror his father's spending money. George Soros spent it on these progressive prosecutors, like Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. Alex Soros says he is going to vote fo- he's going to focus on, quote, voting rights and abortion rights. I put those in quotation marks because the word right is mis is is abused by the left so voting rights that should scare us all what exactly does alex soros mean when he says voting rights surely he doesn't mean surely he doesn't mean protecting the integrity of our elections no no what one can speculate alex soros means when he says voting rights is spending money on electioneering the way that mark elias the democrat's super lawyer that played a huge part in rigging the election systems prior to the 2020 presidential election. One can assume Alex Soros means he wants to spend Soros money on that sort of thing. As for abortion, we know exactly what happens when we spend money on abortion activism. The, the abortion activists on the left are extremely skilled at manipulating what the American people think of abortion. All the left has to do, we saw this in 2022 during the midterm elections, all the left has to do is spend a fortune running ads, telling women that if you don't support abortion, then what you're gonna do is, you're gonna have a miscarriage and you're not gonna be able to get healthcare for it. You're gonna have an ectopic pregnancy and you might die. You could be raped. A child might be the victim of incest and they won't be able to access the care that they need. And this money spent by the left in the name of abortion, on things that have nothing to do with abortion, convinces women who don't know any better to support abortion legislation that makes abortion legal up through the moment of birth, all nine months of pregnancy for any reason whatsoever. This is what Alex Soros says he's going to focus the Soros fortune on. First, on quote-unquote voting rights, and secondly, on quote-unquote abortion rights. Now, for anybody who's wondering what Alex Soros looks like, let me show you this picture. This is Joe Biden with Alex Soros. Look at how connected this son of Soros is standing with the president of the United States. And oh, would you look at that? There's also a photo of Alex Soros with Obama. Obama, perhaps the person controlling Joe Biden. We don't know. There's speculation. Son of Soros standing with a beaming, grinning Barack Obama. Alex Soros is highly connected. He is now in control of a vast amount of money that he has dedicated to spend on political causes. Political causes that are Marxist. Political causes that will end, that will result in the destruction of our country. Alex Soros is not someone to laugh at because he used to be Um, He used to be a, a partier socialite on his daddy's dime. And by the way, the Wall Street Journal tried to excuse away this reputation of Alex Soros by saying, Alex said when he was young, he was embarrassed of his family fortune oh, is that, how we're, is that how we're painting rich kids these days? That the only way that they can justify how they've behaved is by saying, well, he didn't want to be rich. He's, he's, a, he's embarrassed that his dad was rich. Sure he was, sure he was. As he was using that money to jet all over the world to, uh, to party with rich and famous people, he was embarrassed about it. Somehow, I highly doubt that. But it is interesting to see whose side the Wall Street Journal is on. Uh, Alex Soros, has spoken at the World Economic Forum. Alex Soros buys into the whole Green New Deal type agenda where he wants us to cut back on our fossil fuel usage and our carbon emissions while he's using a private jet to get who knows where with who knows what to do, who knows, plots and plan to destroy our country. The only thing, this is a point Jordan Schachtel made, and I want to, Um, I want to read you what he wrote in an article about Alex Soros that he published on the dossier. Jordan Choctel said, according to the Harvard Business Review, some 70% of family owned businesses fail or are sold before the second generation takes the reins and only 10% of those businesses make it to the third generation. While George Soros' vast properties are both businesses and quote unquote nonprofits, the same rules and odds generally apply to both types of institutions. So I think we can all take a moment and cross our fingers and hope that Alex Soros runs this fortune into the ground. Whether he'll be successful, whether he'll fail, he is not someone to be underestimated specifically when he tells us on what he is going to spend his father's enormous fortune. So a new Gallup poll, a new Gallup poll, this is a very interesting Gallup poll and it's not making the rounds as much as I thought it would be. I think it's really important. for us to spread the word, because the left tries to monopolize the narrative. They try to um, portray the American people as as being very pro-trans, when the reality is that most Americans, the majority of the American people, do not want biological males playing in women's sports. This new Gallup poll shows that 69% of the American people, 69% think that so-called transgender athletes should compete only on sports teams that correspond with their biological sex. So men who identify as women should not be allowed to play on women's sports teams. 69%. Now this compares with just 26% of Americans who think that so-called transgender athletes should be allowed to compete on sports teams that align with their so-called gender identity. That's a pretty big differential. 69% think biological sex, 26% think gender identity. Now, you can be a pessimist about this. I considered being a pessimist about this. That's still a lot of Americans, 26%, who think that it's okay for a man who wears a skirt to play on a woman's sports team. Yes, it's a little depressing if you want to be a a glass half-empty type of person, but I don't think we should be today. I think that 69% of Americans who think that transgender athletes should compete on teams that align with their biological sex is a good and encouraging statistic. This means that the transgender narrative has not won. They're, they're, They're not successful. In fact, in fact, and this perhaps is the reason why I'm not being a pessimist about this. The reason that I feel encouraged by this is this poll is very recent. It was done in 2023, but just two years ago, in 2021, Gallup asked these same questions. They ran the same poll two years ago. And in the space of two years, people have not become, uh, have not warmed up to the transgender ideology. In fact, they've cooled towards it pretty significantly if you look at the numbers. In 2021, 62% of Americans thought that trans athletes should compete on teams in accordance with their biological sex. that means that's a seven point difference just two years ago. But seven point difference in the good way, that means 7% of people who two years ago thought that transgender athletes should be allowed to compete on a team that aligns with their so-called gender identity, now don't believe that anymore. That's enormous. That kind of cultural change, a change in public opinion is almost unheard of. Especially when all this money and all this activism, all this time, all this effort has been put behind the transgender agenda. The entirety of the left has embraced this. Corporations have embraced this. Hollywood has embraced this. TikTok has embraced this. The education institution has embraced this. And what it's done is it's turned people against it. In 2021, 34% of the American people thought that trans athletes should be allowed to compete on teams that align with their so-called gender identity. And today, two years later, just 26% of people believe the same. That's an 8% difference. That means 8% of people who two years ago thought that a man should be allowed to compete on a woman's team if he identified as a woman have changed their mind and now think that it's unfair. It's dangerous physically to the women who are competing in women's sports and it obliterates reality. It, it obliterates objective reality if we allow a man, who's a man, to say that he's a woman just because he wants to be a woman and therefore compete on women's teams. I, when I read this at first, I first just read the headline like everyone else and I thought, okay, good. The majority of the American people believe that, believe that men shouldn't be allowed to compete in women's sports, that's good. But I confess, I did kind of focus on the number of people, the number of Americans or the percentage of Americans that thought, you know, gender identity should rule the day. And then I read, this enormous shift, enormous cultural shift, and I thought, well, my goodness, this is the best thing that I have read in quite a long time. In fact, among Democrats, listen to these numbers. Today, in 2023, 48% of Democrats believe that trans athletes should be allowed to compete only on teams that align with their biological sex. 48%, 47%, believe that transgender athletes should be allowed to compete on teams that align with their gender identity. So first of all, the first point that should be made there is more Democrats think that men should not be allowed to play on women's sports teams than the number of Democrats who believe that men should be allowed to play on women's sports team. That right there is a win. Now, yes, it's it's a little depressing that 47% of Democrats think that men can be women, but listen to how many people have changed their mind, how many Democrats have changed their mind. Back up two years to 2021, and just 41% of Democrats thought that transgender athletes should be only allowed to play on teams that align with their biological sex, while 55% of Democrats believed that trans athletes should be allowed to compete on teams that align with their gender identity. That means, once again, that 7% of Democrats who bought into the transgender ideology two years ago no longer buy into it, they reject it. So this is not just independents we're talking about. This is not just Republicans who have opened their eyes to what we're facing. This is Democrat voters, liberals in our country, progressives, leftists, who are rejecting the transgender ideology. I mean, call me crazy here. Sometimes I know I can be a little bit of a skeptic and a little bit, I'm not a pessimist by any means, but sometimes I can, be pretty skilled at pointing out what the, what the threat is or what the negative part of a poll is, but this delighted me. This delighted me. The only part of this poll that uh, really made me scratch my head was when you get to the Republican Party. The Republican Party shows that 93% of Republicans, 93% of Republicans, the overwhelming majority, think trans athletes should only be allowed to play on sports that align with their biological sex, but 6% of Republicans think trans athletes should be allowed to compete on a team that aligns with their gender identity. And I thought, who on God's green earth is a Republican who thinks that Leah Thomas should be allowed to defeat Riley Gaines? Who on earth are these Republicans? Where are you hiding and what is wrong with you? 6%. Now you might think, well, the overwhelming majority of Republicans are on the good side. Yeah, of course, all of them should be. Every single Republican should be on the side of reality here, yet 6% are not. That, my friends, is the only negative part of this poll, that 6% are not, but overall, the tide is turning. People's minds are being changed. We are waging this battle of the culture war very effectively, and you, my friends, should be extremely proud of having taken part in what is ultimately going to be a Republican victory for reality. By the way, one more positive thing before we go. Remember last week when we talked about the Christian pastor or the Christian who was preaching outside of the pride parade and he was arrested, even though he was on the sidewalk, he wasn't being disruptive, he wasn't being confrontational. He was just saying, God is not the author of dot, dot, dot. And a police officer arrested him for dissenting against the pride gathering that was happening in public on these streets. It was a shocking video, it was awful. Well, that Christian pastor, um, the charges have been dropped against that Christian pastor based on the evidence in the video. A win for reality and a win for justice in our country. Again, all thanks to you. We're the ones who made that video go viral. So don't lose heart. There There are bad things we face. Biden is putting a transgender progress pride flag in the White House. But on the, on the front of the culture wars, that's turning people off. It's changing people's minds in our direction. And that's a good thing. Make sure you sign up for my brand new email newsletter at lizwheeler.com email. Thank you for watching today, thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show.